This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking. This is a show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I am editor-at-large and editorial cartoonist with Mississippi Today. You know, our next guest, well, he needs no introduction, but guess what? We're going to do it anyway. Since joining the Ole Miss Rebels baseball team, gosh, what, 22 years ago. It's amazing. Coach Mike Bianco has proven the diligence definitely pays off. Synonymous with the national pastime, the winningest coach in the program's history has solidified his place in history alongside other baseball legends as well. Now, like I said, 22 seasons later, after two Hall of Fame inductions from Seminole High School and the Indian River Community College, two appearances in the College World Series, and named the Collegiate Baseball Coach of the Year twice in 2020 and 2022, the number two has somewhat proven itself to be a divine digit for the Ole Miss Rebel baseball team. With the bases loaded, he is here to talk a little about his passion of the game, what the future holds, and why He's rare as a triple play. Hey, welcome to the show, Coach, and congratulations. And also, too, Coach, man, I don't even know what time zone are you in right now because you've been, like, <laughs> globetrotting all over the world. It really, it's been a, it's been a crazy, you know, several months, and not just, uh, I think, since the championship, but, you know, just because of the path that, that we had to go through to, to make it to Omaha and be on the road, and uh, you know, from the SEC tournament in uh, middle to late May to, to now. We, my wife and I counted as we were flying back from the Netherlands uh, over the last eight weeks of so 56 days. There's only 13 days that you know, we spent in our own bed. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good to be back in Oxford and be back in Mississippi. Yeah, you came home, all the plants were dead, the dog was hungry, that sort of thing, because you've been on the road. <laughs> Hey, are your feet on the ground yet? Because I would figure you're probably about six feet off the ground at this point. You know, I don't know if I've been asked that question like that, but, you know, the, the truth is, um, you know, it's it's kind of been a whirlwind. Uh, as people, you know, probably have heard, you know, the story, we, we get back from the national championship uh, series on that Monday, I believe it was July, uh, June 28th. And we got back into Oxford. By the time we got here to our facility, it was about 3 o'clock. And, you know, roughly had about 48 hours before I had to be in Cary, North Carolina, to coach the USA national team. So, you know, didn't have a, a, a lot of time to kind of reflect or, you know, any of those types of things, trying to do the, my day job, right, and trying to close up the year like you normally would. Uh, but then, of course, we had a celebration here, a parade, and, and then myself and three of our players, uh, Jacob Gonzalez, uh, uh, Mason Nichols, and Hunter Elliott, jumped on the school plane and flew to North Carolina to be part of the USA Collegiate National Team. So, you know, we haven't had a lot of time, and I know me personally, and then being back now for about six days, just trying to catch up, meeting with recruits. i got another recruit coming in here in about 45 minutes and finishing up camp. And uh, But, you know, it's 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 been a Great busy, if you will. Well, I was about to say, if you like that last question, you're in for a fun hour. But um, seriously, like you said, baseball never ends. You know, you just it's 24-7. You get a chance to take a breath. What an incredible year. And we're going to touch on that in just a minute. Let's talk a little bit about you, about your early life. You know, I think about, you know, you and I are about the same age, so you probably started the T-ball. You did T-ball and so forth. What was it like playing baseball when you were a kid? Did you know that this was something that was going to become a lifetime career for you? Oh, no, no never. You know, I... 
like most guys of my, my time, you know, I was, uh, grew up in the seventies and went to high school in the eighties and there wasn't travel ball at that time. And, you know, I played three sports growing up, football, baseball, basketball, and, uh, um, just enjoyed it, enjoyed playing. And, and, you know, if, if you've seen me in person, I'm five foot nine. So there, you know, at some point, you know, the basketball thing, uh, even though I could probably play in high school, I probably didn't like running up and down the court as much. So I kind of <laughs> put that to the side once we got to high school and, and I really enjoyed high school football, to be honest with you. And it was a linebacker and, uh, but in growing up in South Florida, um, I was missing too much baseball in the fall and, and really, you know, started to zero in probably after my sophomore year of high school and saying, Hey, if I, if I want to do this after high school, if I want to play baseball, then I, then I might want to stop playing football. And, and I did. And, um, Played a couple of years of junior college baseball in Florida and uh, ended up at LSU uh, in my junior and senior year in 88 and 89 and played for arguably the greatest college baseball coach ever in Skip Bertman. And uh, it really changed my life. And, you know, at that point, to be honest with you, uh, Marshall, uh, I, I didn't even think about coaching. I used to work as camps, and, and that was fun. But, I, you know, I saw how hard the coaches worked. Uh, and, you know, I was going to be the first person in my family on either side to graduate from college. And, and, and so, you know, I tell the story a lot that, you know, growing up, mom and dad would say, Hey, you're going to go to college and get this degree and, you know, you'll have a better life than us. And you get this degree, you'll make more money. And, you know, to a young person, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, I grew up in a middle-class you know household and, and got everything I needed and, and probably just about everything I wanted. And so if I get this degree, right, this, this golden ticket, I'm going to be a gazillionaire. And, and so I didn't, I didn't want to be a coach because they didn't make enough money. They, they worked so hard. I'm like, why are they doing all this? Baseball's eating all of that. But so I went back home and, um, uh, started to, to search for some jobs. I got a job in Tampa as a financial planner, got my first series six license. And my wife loves this part of the story. I was there for two months. Uh, of course, you know, I uh, got paid on commission. And so after two months, I made $15 and 46 cents. And so it didn't take uh, me long to realize I wasn't going to be a huge success in the financial planning industry. And so I figured the only thing I ever really loved was baseball. And if I was going to be poor, I might as well be a poor baseball coach. Yeah, but you give really good advice. You tell, you know, people to do what they love to do and what they do on their passion. And you realized at that point that baseball truly was your passion. Yeah, you know, and you, people hear that all all their whole you know life growing up. I think young people, hey, you find your passion, find something you, you enjoy, you're going to be doing it the rest of your life. Um, but I think sometimes it falls on deaf ears, and I think I try to tell young people all the time that you know I know when you get out of college, a lot of times you don't know what your passion is uh, in particular. Sometimes, and, and you don't know what you're going to enjoy, but try something. You know, I've always said, man, if you can find out what you're going to do the rest of your life at 25 years old, you got 98% of the world beat, right? And so, uh, you know, most of us don't know that we're going to be a, a coach or a doctor or an engineer. You know, most of us, you know, try a, a few different things until we find our niche. And, you know, I was fortunate that I've tried a few things and then, you know, fell into this, this baseball gig, if you will. Yeah, but you worked really hard at it, too. And you were really fortunate to have a great mentor. I mean, Skip Bertman was, you know, if you're going to have a mentor, having the winning as baseball coach isn't a bad one to have. What advice did he give you that sticks with you to this day? Wow, there's so many, so many things. And, you know, just playing in this program, I think it's part of 
uh, playing in intercollegiate athletics. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times in today's day with NIL and all the rest of it, right, and football stadiums that hold 100,000 people, uh, I think we lose focus on why they started intercollegiate athletics. If you if you think back over 100 years ago and all the, 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 the start of college football and the co- start of college sports, uh, you know, the teams that were great were Harvard and Yale and these great academic institutions. And I, and I, you know, I think the reason for it, in my humble opinion, is these, these universities wanted to prepare young people uh, for things in life that they couldn't learn in English and math class, you know, on, on a ca- uh, college campus. They, they, they wanted them to learn teamsmanship and they wanted them to learn that work ethic and, uh, you know, leadership and these types of things that you learn in college athletics. And, and, and the pressure, you know, that these kids in, in college athletics, you know, have to deal with. And even, you know, at, at, you know almost, uh, you know, uh, huge amounts, you know, nowadays with, you know, the coverage of, of the media and television and everything else. And so, uh, you know, I, I learned so much playing at LSU and playing under him and, you know, from, from everything, from, you know, how to run a program to uh, leadership and how to build a team, how to build a program to, to, to sustain time and how to put people into the stands. And so uh, he would call it the franchise, the system. And just blessed to one play in the system, and, and two to, to uh, later coach there. You know, in the in the mid '90s for five seasons, to where you know I got to learn a lot of these things up close and personal. You know, two things I've noticed about you: number one, you know the rule book back and forwards, and I've seen you create some breaks by knowing that. But the other thing is, too, you're incredibly good at calling pitches. Was that something that you picked up when you were a catcher? Yes, and so one of the things that you know, playing for Coach Bourbon, Coach Bourbon was also a catcher. And um, but one of the things that that we do different in our program, and now you're getting really baseball specific. So I don't know how many of your listeners really understand this part of it. But you know, uh, as a head coach, uh, I also work with the pitchers, and so I'm kind of co-pitching coach with our recruiting coordinator Carl Lafferty. So we kind of combo the pitchers together, if you will. And I call the pitches, and one of the reasons is that's that was part of the system, as Bertman used to say, that. You know, hey, if you ask most coaches what the most important position, they would all say pitcher. And when you look at most teams, not most teams, all teams, that, that's, you know, because a pitcher has to change, you go through sometimes three, four, five pitchers a game. You know, on our roster, we may have 40 players, but 20 of them are pitchers. And so the most, you know, uh, the uh, populated position and the most important position is pitching. So as a head coach, well, if you if you have a – uh, a background in it, why wouldn't you be involved in, in working with the pitchers? So, you know, he always called the pitches. I was kind of his assistant pitching coach at LSU when I was an assistant there. And so I knew when I became a head coach that, that I would call the pitches and have somebody else assist me with the pitchers because there's so many of them on, on the roster. And I think it's one of the things that gives us an advantage. Uh, you know, when you look at most programs, if the head coach works with the pitchers, then nobody else does on the staff. It's just the head coach. And most programs the head coach doesn't work with the pitchers it's another assistant coach and not trying to take anything away from those those programs but I think our system you know lends itself to developing pitchers and and working with them and it allows me as a head coach to have a relationship with those pitchers well that relationship really paid off mid-season I mean we'll talk about that probably in the next segment a little bit more about this season but you know, here you were, you were shifting around some people, moving them out of the bullpen, moving them to main pitching, and, and that really did end up paying off. So I, I would think those relationships probably did help. Yeah, you know, and uh, and sometimes you, as the season progresses, 
you know, you, you know, the guys that you you choose to be the you know the starting rotation to begin the season. Uh, sometimes you know you make those right choices. Those guys that are are ready to handle that responsibility. And there's been years where you know you wake up at the end of the season and those three guys that started on Friday, Saturday, Sunday are the same three. This year was a lot different just because, you know, we didn't have – but Derek Diamond is the only returning starter, and we had a lot of guys that were talented. We just weren't exactly sure what their roles were going to be. And so it, it took us a while, I think, to figure out that uh, rotation. And then it also, you know, credit the kids, kids that, you know, guys like Dylan DeLucia and guys like Hunter Elliott that continued to pitch well and continued to emerge out of the bullpen – to where they finally, you know, got that uh, that responsibility to be one of the starters, and once they did, they ran with it. Yeah, don't worry about too many specific baseball questions. You got a right field playing cartoonist talking to you here, so it, uh, <laughs> it, it could get ugly really quick. So you're coaching at McNeese State. I'm going to jump forward a little bit. Your coaching career sure. you started out working at Northwestern State with Jim Wells, who was one of your coaches at LSU. Then you went back to LSU and coached the national championships. You had all that success there. You went to McNeese State. How did you find out about Ole Miss, and what were your thoughts about Oxford when you first found out about the job? Well, a lot of people don't know this story. So um, I'm at McNeese State. I'm in my third season. We had just won the conference championship, and we're at the conference tournament in Monroe, Louisiana, at Louisiana-Monroe, and I'm sitting at the – I wake up uh, usually, you know, up in the morning somewhere between 5.30 and 6 o'clock. And we had the early morning game, I believe it was at 10 o'clock. And so I uh, go down to the Holiday Inn, you know, restaurant, the breakfast area. And as I'm sitting there drinking my coffee, the bus driver comes walking by and he goes, hey, how about that, that old Miss coach? And he flips, you know, a paper in front of me. He might have been to USA Today, I'm not sure. But a little blurb in there said that, uh, that old Miss had let go their, their baseball coach. And I was like, wow. And, and three years prior to that, my name kind of circulated as a, as a possible candidate. But at that time, I was an assistant coach. And at that time, when that was happening, um, you know, I was still in my 20s. Uh, and now I'm, you know, 30, just turned 33 years old. And um, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, you know, is this the right time? We're about to play in about four hours. Is this the right time to try to, like, you know, you know, uh, make some moves as, as far as this job's concerned. And so I, I pulled out a, a, I made a phone call to my secretary back in Lake Charles. Uh, back, this is, you know, I won't say pre-cell uh, phone, but somewhat pre-cell phone, right? This is summer of 2000. So, you know, people have them, but not everybody has them. And certainly kids don't have them. I called my uh, secretary up at, at McNeese and I said, in my Rolodex, if you can remember what that is, you know, in my Rolodex, there's a number of a guy by the, uh, but I don't know his name, but he's an Ole Miss booster. Uh, I need you to look through my Rolodex and find that name. And she called me back in about 20 minutes and she said, uh, there's a guy by the name of Tim Clymer. It says Ole Miss booster. I said, that's the guy. And I called Tim Clymer. Tim was uh, part of the bullpen club here, you know, the, one of the fundraising arms of the, of the baseball program. And he got me in contact with, uh, uh, Chuck uh, Roundsville, who ran the Ole Miss Spirit, Jeff Robertson, and uh, they passed on some information to me about John Schaefer, the athletic director at the time. And, and we started our um, campaign to try to be the head baseball coach of Ole Miss at that point. And so, you know, within a few days, I was in touch with John Schaefer. Uh, maybe a week or so later, you know, interviewed for the job. And uh, on June 7th, uh, 
uh, 2000. I was named the head baseball coach here. And now it's hard to believe this, but not only are you the longest serving baseball coach in the SEC, but you've outlasted most all the football coaches and the men's basketball coaches as well. Did you ever think when you took that job, like, yeah, I'm, this is where I'm going to be. It's going to be 22 years. No, I don't think anybody, especially in my profession, ever you know, yeah. thinks that. You know, you're, you're hoping that you'll be coaching in 22 years, but the likelihood that you're at the same school uh, is is really, really rare. And uh, and so, no, and especially at 33. I was 33 years old when I took this job. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think, you know, even at, at that age, you don't look – you know, into the future that that far. You know, you you want to win now. You want to. <laughs> we wanted to recruit some players and have success in our first year, so we could be here a second year. And uh, you know, so I think you know it's, it's easy to be you know where your feet are at that time. There's so much coming at you. And, you know, my first year as a as as a head coach in the Southeastern Conference back when they had 12 teams, but when two months after I was. Um, uh, uh, took the opportunity to be the head coach here. I was sitting at a head coaches meeting for the Southeastern Conference coaches, and you look around that room. You got uh, Ron Polk and Skip Burtman and Jim Wells and Andy Lopez and Roy Muburn and Norm DeBryan and uh, at Arkansas, and you had all these you know coaches that are legends, Hall of Fame type coaches. And here I am at 33 years old. I was the youngest coach in the Southeastern Conference by probably at least 15 years. And uh, I was just in awe sitting around in those meetings. So, yeah, I don't think at that point you ever say, hey, you know, 20-plus years from now, this is what it's going to look like. Yeah, and two of those names are now the only two people that are ahead of you in the number of wins. So that's pretty impressive, to say the least. And I totally get that because I was 28. I was out in San Diego as a cartoonist. I got the call to come here for the Clarion Ledger to be their cartoonist. And I thought, yeah, I'll be here for two years. And I've been here for 25. So, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of the Hotel California of uh, – of places to go. But once again, you and I both have raised a family here and you've raised five great kids here. So it's been, yeah, a, yeah it's been a good run. It, it has. And, you know, uh, to be honest with you, when, when, you know, I was interviewing for the job, I, uh, I always knew that Oxford was, you know, a neat college town. Uh, I remembered, you know, because I was a young person, I remembered they had the, the prettiest uh, back girls and, uh, you know, a, a beautiful bat, baseball stadium and always thought that, hey, this was, this would be, you know, a, a neat place, but they had never really won here. Yeah. And, and so that kind of scared me. And, uh, you know, they had only been to postseason twice in 25 years. And so, uh, but my wife, um, who was a, a trainer, uh, athletic trainer at LSU, had been here many times. And, of course, she loved Oxford and she loved the small community. And when you start to think about the Southeastern Conference, you know, uh, that's our niche, you know, Oxford and Ole Miss. I mean, there's not many, you know, most of the, the schools in the Southeastern Conference are in state capitals like Baton Rouge or Columbia, South Carolina, or they're in nice-sized towns like you know, Gainesville and Tuscaloosa and Fayetteville. They're not like this. And uh, and so, you know, Oxford's unique. And, uh, and so as I got here, I didn't take the job because Oxford's such a neat place and what a great place to raise your family, but it's certainly the reason that I'm still here. You know, that, you know, when you, when you, you, you live here and you, you know, your kids, you know, go to school in the Oxford, Oxford School District and, you know, my kids drove the bus, you know, until they were in high school. You know, the bus picked them up in their driveway. That doesn't happen very much in very many places anymore and certainly in college towns. And so, uh, it's just, it's been a neat place to, to raise a family. 
uh, a neat place to, to live and watch you, you know, your five children grow up. Uh, and of course, you know, a neat community to, to be with your wife. And, um, so yeah, we're, we, we've been, um, that's one of the reasons that we've been here so long. And that must have been wonderful to see that community embrace you during the Victor Parade, which was incredible because I think the last time that happened was when Ole Miss beat Alabama in football a few years ago. So <laughs> it, was, it was nice to see Oxford, you know, rally around you and give you give you the love that I think you deserve. So it's time for us to take a quick break. But when we return, we're going to be sliding into home base as we continue our conversation with the University of Mississippi's legendary baseball coach, Mike Bianco. Stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. You're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. Hey, great show today. I hope you're enjoying it. And in the words of Coach Mike Bianco, and I quote, this isn't about the money anyway. It's about what's in the best interest of the game. And this mantra has led to the Ole Miss Rebels baseball team and winning college baseball's highest honor. In with us again today is the longest-serving active coach in the SEC among the sports of baseball, men's basketball, and football. So, Coach Bianco, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Like I said, you've been globetrotting uh, after your incredible success in Omaha you know, we've been talking about your early life, your passion in the game, you know, how you got to Ole Miss, how you love Oxford. You know, and you and I both, we have mentors. I think Skip Bertman's, what, in his 80s now, and he's like 84 years yeah. old. My mentor's 90. He just got literally laid off from the Knoxville newspaper as a cartoonist there. And for me, I patterned my career after my mentor. I kind of figured I would work until I was 90 and so forth. And, of course, it's been very different. With Skip Bertman, you heard you had a guy who literally won – X amount of national, what, five national championships, boom, 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 within a decade. It was just incredibly busy. You get in there, you're getting close. You have great teams. You get close to the mountaintop, but you're never really quite able to get there. And you finally did in 22 years. Talk about that a little bit. How Was that frustrating for you, or how did you persevere and keep pushing to get past that point? Because, you know, Jay White and I were talking a little bit during the break about how the actual – you know, it's structured to get to the World Series now is so difficult now. Because, I mean, we saw it this year with Tennessee. Tennessee had an incredible team, a really gifted team, didn't even make it hardly as far at all. And so you can stumble and you can fall. How did you persevere and keep pushing and get your team through this year? Well, you know, uh, that's a lot of questions wrapped up into one. So we'll take the first one. Okay. Uh, and Skip Bourbon, you know, again, I, I started off, you know, in your first segment saying arguably the greatest college baseball coach ever. You know, he's the John Wooden, you know, of college baseball, the the the, the, the Nick Saban, if you will. And so, you know, for your listeners, uh, he won five national championships in 10 years. And so, I, uh, you know, we've heard the phrase timing's everything. And I was there in the midst of that for five years as an assistant coach. And so it was a part of three uh, national championships. And so when I left there, with the McNeese, we started to have success. And when I got to Ole Miss, I don't mean it egotistically, and I know it sounds that way, but I didn't think it was going to take 22 years to win a national championship. And it was just because of what I was used to and what I thought. And I had this system, and if we did this, this is this is how you do it. And and we had success. It wasn't like hey, we struggled and we had success. 
you know, immediately. And by 2004, we were hosted in a regional. In 2005, we were a national seed and played in game three of the Super Regional, which is in that sweet 16, if you will, that last, you know, uh, part of the bracket before you make it to the College World Series. Well, we, uh, we've played, I think, in maybe eight or nine Super Regionals, and I think we've played in seven game three, uh, re, you know, best of three, but made it to uh, the final game and didn't win it, you know, and, and so that's been tough. It's, uh, it's been tough, but, and I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand, but, you know, our game's different than football and even basketball where a lot of times the best team, you know, doesn't win. It's the team that plays the best, and especially when you get to that point of the Super Regional, the, the last 16 teams, all the teams are good. And so you just have to play better than the other team. And there's times where we didn't play well. There's been times where the other team played too, you know, too well for us to win. Uh, there's been times where, gosh, if we would have made another pitch or another play, you know, maybe our fate would have been different. And why that didn't happen, um, you know, is you know beyond me. You know, but all we knew was just continue to get there, continue to you know push, continue to you know win year in and year out. And once you do that, uh, you're going to give yourself the best opportunity to win that you know that game three or win a super regional. And so, uh, you know, personally, I don't think it was hard. This is what we do. Every team's a little bit different, and you know, continue to push and 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 uh, get to those uh, super regionals, and uh, we made it through. Yeah, it's always reminds me a little bit of March Madness. It's like the hot team always seems to, you know, it's amazing to watch you go through. And I, and you definitely, it was like Mississippi State last year. They were incredibly hot. They were able to, to do it as well. Before we get into this season, because I, like I said, I really want to dive into it. Let's talk a little bit about the 2020 season, because that had to be probably one of the most incredibly frustrating experiences that you've ever experienced. You had a team that was 16-1 and one that was hot, that was world beaters at that point. You know, you just have to wonder what if, what could have happened. Yeah, that that, that was a that was a tough time, and a tough time for everybody. And I, I yeah. always, you know, when I speak back to, to 2020 and in mid-March, uh, where, you know, all of us, uh, young people and, and, and adults alike, you know, our lives changed and changed forever, probably, right? We'll never, you know, go back to the way, the way it was. Uh, but we were in the midst of a, a year that we were, as you mentioned, 16 and one and ranked in the top five in just about every poll. We were about to start Southeastern Conference play. And, uh, and here's the story. We were in Louisiana Monroe, of all places again. <laughs> Uh, uh, and we had just won, uh, our 16th game. It was on a Wednesday evening and we we're busing back to, to Oxford. And I had heard a little bit about this, you know, pandemic and COVID and this, this weird flu-like disease that was going around. And, you know, at, at that point, and again, I don't know the date, but it was, you know, mid-March, March 14th, 15th, somewhere in there, uh, we, I got a message uh, right after the game that uh, you know from one of the administrators that said Keith Carter, our athletic director, who was in Nashville at the time uh, with the SEC basketball tournament, wanted to have a conference call with all the coaches, and it was going to be at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., so I would have to be on it as we were traveling back on bus from Louisiana Monroe. And so got on there, and he explained to us how uh, – you know, things were going to be different. And for baseball this weekend, we would play, we would host LSU as planned, but they were, they wouldn't let any fans in the stands. They would, uh, uh, would just be maybe 200, you know, family and friends of each team, uh, over their dugouts. And that was it. 
And so that was kind of weird and odd. And then as that conversation went on, you know, on the bus, you saw on ESPN as they were canceling games in the NBA. And the next morning, uh, we wake up and they canceled the uh, SEC basketball tournament. And you knew that wasn't good, you know, right? When, when they cancel, you know, tournament that big. And, and so uh, they decided to press pause. And so we got information uh, from the SEC that says, hey, we're not going to play baseball this weekend. You know, we're going to start back up around whatever that date was, March 31st or April one that's when we would continue the season. So we went out and practiced that afternoon and tried to keep the kids locked in and motivated. Hey, we'll enter squad. We'll continue to practice, you know, try to stay sharp. Uh, and literally three hours later, we're in the weight room and I'm watching ESPN and I'm on the treadmill. The kids are working out and they said this, uh, comes on the ticker that they canceled all spring sports for, uh, all, all spring championships for the NCAA. And so I grabbed my phone and ran out in the hallway and I called Keith Carter and he said, yes, we just heard that. We're not exactly sure what that means or what that means to the SEC. Uh, and so literally 30 minutes later, I pulled the kids in and tell them, you know, hey, the season's canceled and you, you're going to have to leave the facility and leave school and school's canceled. Well, you know, we were on spring break. I don't know if you remember. I think Mississippi State was as well. You know, we were on spring break, so it wasn't like there was a lot of people on campus. But how do you tell, you know, young people that 18 to 22 years old where they, you know, hey, listen, school's canceled. Go home. Baseball season's canceled. I know you guys are doing great, but, you know, the season's over. And I'm sorry. And so a lot of tears shed that day. And, uh, because, you know, a lot of, I'm sure, uh, players thinking, you know, the, the what if, you know, that maybe the greatest season that we've ever, you know, had was, you know, coming to an end. I totally get that. My son had to come home. He was not happy about it. So, yes, I yeah. understand that completely. Yeah. This year you had just a huge number of seniors on the team, and which is pretty unusual for college baseball because usually everybody gets drafted. And the fact this had to make this year that much sweeter just to, to go through that experience a couple of years ago. Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, the, a lot of the kids, a lot of the older kids, the Elkos, the Benches, the, the Grams, a lot of those kids, Max Trophy, Derek Diamond was a freshman on that team, were there in 2020 when the season got shut down. And uh, But it's really, to be honest with you, you know, Marshall, I think it's one of the reasons that we ended up being able to persevere, you know, through this, you know, roller coaster of a season was because of the older guys. Uh, maybe, you know, as far back as the pandemic where they've learned how to handle adversity and something we talked about in your first segment where they, you know, they learn things that, you know, normal people don't learn in college. You know, they've learned how to handle, you know, the, the proverbial kick in the gut. And, um, and, and, and boy, did we need that experience this year because it, this wasn't the, uh, the perfect uh, story of this great season from start to finish. This was a, a season full of uh, you know ups and downs, and, and you know and at one point a pretty big down that you know, our guys had to get out of. I always thought that the uh, final game, that the you know the last two innings were just such a great metaphor for the whole season. I mean, here your backs were against the wall. Oklahoma had your number, and then they started throwing it in the dirt, and you got the breaks, and you played it, and you won, and that was kind of the way the whole season went. Well, you know, uh, you know, this is a, a year where we played. We were, you know, when the started the season, we returned a, a veteran group that was one game away from getting to the College World Series last year. So as the preseason polls came out, we were ranked, you know, in the top five uh, in just about every poll, and then played really well at the beginning of the season. So so much so that 
you know, by mid-March, we were ranked number one in the country in every poll uh, for two weeks. And then we stumbled, you know, fell and just couldn't figure it out, didn't play good baseball. And then we started to play good baseball, but didn't get a lot to show for it. We'd lose some really close games that, you know, ended up costing us you know, weekend series wins. And, and uh, we were in a, in a, in a, in a tough, tough spot. Uh, but, you know, as we made our way out of it, I think when we got to postseason, you know, finally we were on level playing ground again, you know. So when we're in that hole, it was just difficult because even when we had success, it was it was hard. We seemed like we were, we were running so far uphill to try to get back to where we were that it was almost impossible. But once we got to postseason and everybody's, you know, you know zero and zero again, and it's like a new, you know, fresh start, you know, we, uh, you know, it was easier to relax and easier just to be us and play good baseball again. But you mentioned – you know, in the national championship series and especially game three where, you know, we couple pass balls in the, in the bottom of the eighth really were the difference in the game. But those are the kind of breaks that I'm talking about where, you know, maybe the baseball guy said, hey, we owe, we owe Ole Miss, right? <laughs> where, you know, over the years, you know, we've had the, the ball bounce the other way for us. And, uh, and sometimes in our game, you know, not only do you need to be good, but you need some good fortune as well. Yeah, and you, of course, you had coached the team, and like you said, they were an older team, well, so that, as well, so they knew how to play those breaks. On that, real quick question, just kind of partly baseball, partly not. It's like there's a lot of people right now that are going through things, and you know, have got some tough times in this country. And you know, the national championship meant a lot to them. It was so incredible to see all the Ole Miss fans. I mean, Mississippi as a whole, as a state, travels so well to Omaha anyway. Winning does cure a lot of ailments. But what advice would you give to people right now who maybe feel like that they can't get that win in their personal life and feel like that they can't get that break? Well, you know, it's one of the things that I've said, you know, several times, and I actually said it in the celebration here at the at the very end when we addressed, you know, uh, you know, Rebel Nation, you know, uh, you know, in that uh, parade and the celebration here at our stadium, is it, and I, I think when I think back at this team and I think back at this, you know, season, uh, and we've kind of gone through it. Um, you know, all of us, it doesn't matter who you are or what household you grew up in, you know, somebody, if it was a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, a coach, somebody has told you along the line, you know, some or gave you some quote about, hey, you know, if you just continue to believe and you continue to work hard, you know, uh, good things will eventually come your way. You know, eventually, you know, you, you can break through and you can accomplish anything. You know, we've all heard those quotes if it was on a, a poster in a doctor's office, right? We've all read them. Uh, but, you know, this team you know, actually lived it, you know, and I think that's, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, uh, we've got an overwhelming response from, you know, not just, you know, Rebel Nation and the Ole Miss family, but, you know, people, you know, across the country that have kind of fallen in love with this story uh, because this was a group that worked really hard and, uh, you know, things didn't go their way for the longest time. And, you know, it, it, there was a point where I think in the season we could have went either way, but they didn't allow that to happen. They continued to believe in themselves. They continued to believe in one another and continued to work hard and show up every day being positive and, and, and eventually, you know, made it through to the other side and, and good things started to happen, you know, and, and yeah, you know, I think sometimes, you know, as, as, as people, we, we quit right before good things are about to happen for us, you know, right before, you know, we're about to turn that corner. We never get to that corner because it's hard. 
And, and, and so, you know, continue to keep your head up, continue to believe. You know, belief is such an amazing, you know, uh, uh, mental and emotional, you know, tr- uh, trait that, you know, I think all success stories have. And, and if you continue to believe and you continue to work hard, you know, good things are right around the corner for you. And I know it helped, too, to have Camille by your side as well and having an amazing family, too. Look, you you got to go in about a minute. Um let me just throw this out there. What's next for you? Because it's like, you know, I mean, you and I are about the same age. You've got a lot of years left ahead of you. What's, what's up? Yeah. Well, the good thing in my profession is, is next year. And, you know, and so as, as amazing as we continue to talk about last year, you know, I'm about to meet with a recruit. So that's why I'm about to get off for next year that it will be in the uniform next year. And so, you know, uh, to me, that's one of the great things about my profession is, you know, those 40 guys, and I said this right after the national championship game, you know, this is their moment, you know, uh, yeah, I got to share in it and I'm very appreciative that I got to be a part of that, but I'm going to have another moment next year, hopefully in the, the years to come. And, and that's the great thing about being a coach is you get to assemble and put together another team. And, and so, um, you know, I'm excited about, you know, next year and uh, putting together a little different team. You know, some of the guys that were part of this team, but a lot of new faces. And, and, uh, and you know, that started, you know, literally a few days after we won the national championship. Well, Coach, congratulations. I am incredibly grateful that you took the time today to be able to have a conversation with us. I've loved it. And good luck for next year. And congratulations again on 2022 College World Series. That's just so much fun to say. Thanks, Marshall. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, take care. All right. Well, it's time for take a quick break. And when we return, Jermaine and I will talk about the latest headlines in the weekly roundup. So stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. radio whatever your taste news music storytelling or how-to shows whatever your city natchez jackson tupelo cleveland however you want radio smart speaker smartphone app mpb think radio we know you love mpb think radio to stay informed but sometimes you need a little music to relax and unwind MPB Music Radio has a variety of genres and is with you all the time on the MPB Public Media app, right on your mobile device. Bluetooth it in the car or pop in your earbuds and take a listen to MPB Music Radio. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email marshall at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. 
listening. Now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. And before the break, we were listening to Coach Mike Bianco about his 22-year tenure at Ole Miss, uh, winning national championship as well. And the thing, the only thing that was wrong with that interview is it could have gone on for about six more hours. I love talking to him. And honestly, I was just telling Jay White just a second ago, I was like, I'd like to sit down and just have a beer with him because I think he could talk about just about anything. And that was fantastic. And, Coach, thank you so much for joining us today. That was great. Jermaine, I know you were enjoying it in there. I did. I did. He's such a humble coach. And the story about the $15 that he made had me just tickled. Well, you know, it's funny because I had read that story before. You know, he literally was when when Coach Bertman said, hey, you want to become a coach? You guys don't make any money. And at that time, <laughs> Coach Bertman was making like 75000 a year, right? right? All right, so this is what? The 80s, right? So yeah. $75,000 a year would buy you the Biltmore house. Yeah, it's unheard you know, of back like then. Like my kids right. say, a dollar would buy you a house. You know, <laughs> my children like to remind me that I'm or old. Or you swipe the card and that'll buy the house. Exactly. Right. You could do it out of the change in your couch, you know, right. because, you know, because everything was so cheap back then. But still, you think about what coaches make today and everything. But, you know, I mean, and there were a lot of questions, of course, obviously about the individual games and getting in the weeds, but also to how he handled the pressure, you know, because like I said, there was a point this year where people were calling for his head right? and he just stayed the course. He would make the, you know, he had that relationship with the pitchers. He changed up the pitching staff and so forth. So it was, it was a fascinating, but I thought he just threw out some really good advice in that. that yeah. Too. Yeah. I think the 22 years in probably help him shake off the nerves of everybody just being on his back about it so and he's a man of faith too and i think that probably keeps Mm -hmm. him well grounded also and he's got an incredible family and incredible wife you know i mean so a lot of good things that are going on in his life so it was in a way for me you know it was fun to see him win just because like this is a good guy that deserves a break right and he got it right and of course we love to see mississippi win whatever team wherever it's at mississippi is a happier place when we win (laughs) sports definitely yes Remember when we were one and three in football? Oh my gosh! Every the birds were singing, the sun was shining. It right. was like everybody was, was in such a great mood. Yeah, everybody's in sync at that time. And then you know they when we started losing. So anyway, yeah. and it was so on brand. You know, you got Mississippi State wins the the, the national championship, and then you know Ole Miss yeah. wins it, and so right. everybody's like, well, you know, Southern Miss needs to win next year because they had an incredibly good team. Pearl River College Community College they won it the national championship okay. this year. Okay. Last year, Madison Central High School won the national championship for for high school baseball right this is the center for baseball i know it. it's about the center for everything when it comes to sports but definitely yeah. baseball has been you know on its ride right now oh it's doing great and you know it's and I remember going to college, we'd go to, you know, like uh, we'd wake up after a long night out and our head would hurt and we'd go to the college baseball game. There'd be six people there where I went to school is not Mississippi. So we didn't have that love of it. You know, and then you hear that dink from the, the aluminum bats and your right. head would hurt because of what you did the night before, <laughs> you know. And so but you go to a game here mm-hmm. and it's electric. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and I think that was probably one of our superpowers last year and this year is the fact that our fans love baseball and they were in Omaha and I've always joked that's where everybody in Mississippi goes vacation we go to Omaha right you know forget the beach we're gonna go to Omaha so, right but it was great and speaking of people that are tearing things up on the national stage and you got a chance to interview them Chapel Heart yeah Chapel Heart um, were guests on Next Stop Mississippi this past Friday and it was an amazing time and I am just so proud of those women for what it is that they've done and what it is that they'll continue to do. They literally are two sisters and a cousin 
came up from Poplarville, Mississippi. Uh, if you go on their Facebook page, you'll see pictures of them, little little girls just hanging out together. And now they're literally singing together. Number five right now on the overall iTunes chart. Um, and then they did hit number one on the iTunes country music chart yeah. over last week. But just an amazing time with those women. And they are so down to earth. I'm Mississippi really does breed down to earth. <laughs> well, number one, we do really well on those kind of shows. I mean, everybody from Skyler Lane, and you think about the, way right. the guy from Meridian who did it. You know, we have people that do really well on whether it's cooking shows or whatever. Mississippi, we we present well. However, you know, you think about it, and did you you saw the actual clip of them getting the golden buzzer because they got a group golden buzzer. I they did. didn't get just an individual. They had- I did. Yeah, everybody hit the golden buzzer at once. But the crazy part was was after that golden buzzer, Dolly Parton ended up tweeting about it and Loretta Lynn herself ended up tweeting about it. Well, it was so amazing. And I think what really, number one, I'm reading a book called Blue Ocean Strategy, right? It's talking about if you want to succeed in business, you don't compete necessarily. You go out and create a category on your own. And Mm -hmm. they've done that. You know, you got African-American, three, you know, two sisters and a cousin. You got the harmonies. You've got that. So they're a little bit different than maybe what you normally see with, but they're so good. And then they get up on the stage and they sing an original song. And it wasn't just an original song it was a play off of dolly parton's jolene right basically saying no 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 I, i'm not going to be sweating my man right you, you know can, losing my man to jolene you, you can keep have him, him. <laughs> you can have him so the song was so good yeah we weren't we weren't talking to jolene we yeah we were really just telling talk, jolene just hold, go on hold hey, him yeah good luck <laughs> Good luck. I, I've done drive. I've done driven that car. Right, good luck. Right. You know, right. Then, right. Uh, Such a good time, though. Those ladies right there, just, they really did touch I'm my heart. I'm pumped that you were able to book them, too. That, that was, was such a great story. What you call divine intervention and, and my mama. And that's that was the end of that story. That's, so. why, I love, that's why I'm so glad you're my producer. Because <laughs> you're smart. Right. <laughs> We know where the help comes from. But yeah, seriously, I mean, it was it was such a great interview to net and to see these girls really blossom and put it down. Like I told them, I cried when I seen them win the golden buzzer. It just gives you the feels when you know it's somebody who looks like you. And they had a little bit of adversity. So because of that difference, because of that that lane that they're in, I think they had tried to um, get into the Grand Ole Opry and the Grand Ole Opry had told them no. Well, last week, the Grand Ole Opry had invited them back. Okay, so Or or not back, but they're going to invite him. Yeah. Well, perform, and it's right? the whole it's the whole thing about Mike Bianco. And I did a cartoon about this with him. And I, I wanted to apologize to him about how I drew him because my oh. art skills are a little bit weird. <laughs> the thing was, you know, he received all that criticism. But how do you answer criticism? How do you answer the Grand Ole Opry not inviting you? You don't get on social media and You're whine right. about it. You're right. You get out there and succeed. Yeah. And that's what... And create that lane, like you said. You create that lane, and and they did. Once you build it, they will come. Yes. (laughs) Which we are doing with this show on a daily basis, or at least a weekly basis. And also, too, just to remind folks that... And that, like, for instance, I thought that this interview... Uh, with Mike Bianco, nothing to do with me, of course, was fantastic. (laughs) He was great. And you're probably going to want to listen to it again because there's some real life nuggets in there, things that you might actually want to write down and keep. Well, guess what? We have a podcast. And we, Mm -hmm. you know, you and I are going to make sure that we have the best guests every week. Mm -hmm. And you're going to want to listen to these shows again. 
and you can do that. You can listen to the podcast. So I highly recommend folks to be able to do that. Right. Make sure you do that, too, as well for Next Stop Mississippi. If you want to go back and hear that interview with Chapel Heart, you can do that as well. But definitely. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go back too. and listen to I definitely want to hear them. I, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I, I apologize for not listening live. It's OK. I'm such a bad host. That's OK. That's yeah. why we have our podcast. Exactly. So we shoot people right there. And especially if you're just now joining us right now on the show and you want to hear the Mike Bianco. That we're so lovingly talking about. Right. right. Now. Make sure a... you check out. <laughs> now you're talking with Marsha Ramsey this afternoon sometime. And that podcast will be right there. Yeah. Definitely. I'll listen to you. Maybe this afternoon, you know, as soon as I take a long five-hour lunch or whatever. No, I would never. Oh, I'm just kidding. You do such a great job. I'm giving you a hard time on that. I know um, it. I real know quick, it. hats off, too. And you speaking of coaches that are incredibly uh, talented, uh, Deion Sanders. He's like, oh, yeah, just take half my salary and put that towards some JSU football renovations because he's smart. He realized he's got to have a product to sell to his recruits. And so – I remember when I was young, I used to think he had an ego, but now it's total 360 for me. Well, I the mean, thing is, ego is one thing, but yeah. he, he backs it up. Yeah, definitely. You know, he's, he's um, yes, he's won championships in both baseball and football. Yes, he's like absolutely done a great job at Jackson State, putting them not only on the map uh, locally, but nationally. Yeah, I, I think he backs everything up. Yeah, no, he's I really have no good. problem with He him. told them, uh, you'll, you can pull the receipts if you want to see if I'm really doing that. Right. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I've, I have complete respect for that. Right. You know, on that. And, you you know, back to Chapel Heart on that. And one thing in Mississippi I have discovered, and I've had just a little taste of it in my career, that whenever you do something nice on the on the national stage, people in Mississippi love it. Right. Because I think so much we catch so much grief for whatever reason. It's just nice to see people represent us and do it in such a wonderful fashion. So, I'm pulling for them. I can't wait to the live shows. Can't hear what to see what they do next. And today's show was great. Jeremy, thank you so much. You're welcome. This was fun. We're here together. With yeah, this. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> for one hour, one week. Right. We're here. So. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. I don't want to thank I don't want to thank you for listening today. We had a great guest today, Ole Miss baseball coach Mike Bianco, and I want to thank him for joining us today. And if you'd like to hear the show again, well, or any past episodes, did we mention the podcast? Well, you can listen to it on your favorite podcast app or on our MPB public media app. Now You're Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio. It's produced by the incredible Jermaine Flood. And you can join us next week at 10 a.m. for another great conversation here on MPB Think Radio. Y'all have a great week. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.